Uh, well, welcome today. So glad that you're joining us again. If you're new, if you're just joining us for the first time, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridge Church and uh, just want to say to you a special uh, welcome. If you were here last week, you know that we started a new sermon series called How to Be Rich. And last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about what it meant to be rich and we determined that in fact we are rich. Basically, anyone who lives in BC, anyone who lives in Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows area, uh, if, even if we're not making a great wage, even if we're not sort of on the high end of the scale, by world standards, we're, the vast majority of us are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Of the billions of people in the world, we are in that top 4%, which means that whether it feels like it or not, we are rich. And we talked about that knowing that should not lead to, to feeling guilty or shame, but rather to gratitude. And your assignment this past week, if you did it, was to look around you and to see everywhere God's incredible generosity that he has poured into our lives. In fact, we talked about uh, Jesus' warning and his wisdom that says, if you see the world around you with eyes that see with the generosity that God has given you, man, your world will be filled with light. And so I hope this past week that you just had a chance to look around. I hope your, your heart was filled with gratitude for just God's incredible generosity in your life. We are rich. We, but, but, but here's the thing about being rich. Just because a person is rich doesn't mean that they are actually good at it, right? I mean, just because a person has or is something doesn't mean that they're necessarily good at it. For instance, I have a skateboard in my garage, but just because I have a skateboard doesn't mean that I am good at skateboarding at all. In fact, even if I dressed the part, if I got the baggy pants and the right shoes and the hoodie and the, and the, the hat, and I mean, I mean, it would take a miracle for me to look like a skater. But if somehow, by some miracle, I ended up looking like a skater and I had a skateboard, that in and of itself would not make me good at skateboarding. And the same is true when it comes to money. I mean, Sports Illustrated reports that an amazing 78%, 78% of NFL players end up bankrupt or in severe financial stress within two years of retirement. Think about that. And when it comes to those guys playing in the NBA, 60% of players are broke within five years of walking off the court. And in another study done on lottery winners, they found that almost half of lottery winners, of all lottery winners, had spent all of their winnings within five years of their original win. And that isn't just a problem for people who, who become rich in a short period of time. That, that's also a problem that is especially apparent among those who are about to inherit wealth. You know, in the States and, and by some degree in Canada, but certainly in the States, the stats tell us that there are somewhere around 20,000 families, 20,000 families in the U.S. that have a net worth of at least $100 million or more. And the stats also tell us that there are another million families that are what uh, financial planners called a junior, uh, junior wealth that have $10 million in each of their families. And... And, uh, and, uh, and, and so you can imagine the complexity of managing that kind of money. There's all kinds of different places where that money is held, different investments. The, the markets can change so easily. Old technology can suddenly become obsolete. What was a craze last year and everyone had to have it is suddenly the dinosaur this year. Nobody is buying it anymore. And, uh, and the problem is, 
the problem, one of the biggest challenges that these wealthy families face is how to prepare the next generation to manage that kind of wealth. In fact, there's a whole industry that's developed to help families help their next generation understand how to do it because, because they understand what we often don't easily understand. And that is this, that just because you possess wealth doesn't mean that you are necessarily good at being rich. And to compound that problem, it turns out that those who have money are also not very good at talking about it. Now, the uber-rich, for example, this crowd that we're talking about, the 100 million plus, I mean, to, to talk about their wealth, they would consider that incredibly self-demeaning and vulgar. They do not want to talk about their wealth. So if you sit them down for an interview, they're happy to talk about this and that. But if you get talking about their wealth, that interview will be over in an instant. And here's why. Here's why. Because... Those who have that kind of wealth don't want it to be the primary way that they are defined. They, they want to be known for who they are and for what they think and for some of the things that they do. But the danger is if you talk about their wealth, it looks like it's their wealth that may, has made them who they are. And they don't want that. So they don't talk about it which is fine, except for that it means that there is a, a widening gap between uh, money and the instruction for how to use it. In fact, it, it turns out that the people who need to have conversations the most about money are the ones uh, uh, who are least likely to have them. They are like the uber-rich old wealth families. And they are like, certainly in North America, church families, like our church like thousands of churches in North America. You know, sometimes, sometimes uh, when we get uh, talking about money in the church, people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about money in the church. I mean, it's awkward. It's, it's sensitive. Uh, you know, you, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't talk about money in the church. But we should. It's part of life. In fact, it's an incredibly important part of life. And especially for those of us who are part of the church in North America, because of God's incredible generosity and, and, and graciousness to us when it comes to finances, it's more important than ever that we who are part of the church in North America talk about how to be good at being rich with the money that God has given to us. In fact, Jesus himself talked regularly about money and possessions. In fact, he talked more about money and possessions than everything that he said about heaven and hell combined. So, let's talk. I mean, what we're seeing is that just because people have money doesn't mean that they're good at it. And, and those who do often don't even have the conversations that are necessary in order to become good at it. You know, uh, between my, I think it was first and second year of university, I worked uh, at a landscaping company. We did, we did hardscaping, which meant that when someone got a new home, we would come in and we would build retaining walls and decks and, and put down paving stones and put in pergolas. And I mean, we would make their yard look amazing, which meant that most of the work that we did was on brand new, very large homes that belonged to relatively wealthy people. And in that, in that year, I think it was 19 or 20. I mean, in that year, I learned something very quickly and very profoundly about people and their money. We, we would go from one house to the other and we'd do, you know, one job and the next. And what I learned very quickly that summer is that there are some people, some rich people who own their money. But I also met 
a bunch of rich people whose money owned them. And it was so obvious in the way that they treated us, in the way that they talked, in the way that they dealt with the issues that inevitably came up when you did that kind of work. Some rich people owned their money. And for others, their money owned them. You see, if you want to be good at being rich, it's about a lot more than just deciding where you're going to spend your money and what you're going to do with it. Being good at being rich requires you to be aware of what your money is doing to you. Because money has a profound effect on people, on how they think, on how they act, on how they see the world, on how they treat the people around them. And so if we want to be good at having money, if we want to know how to be rich, the place we have to start is by understanding that there are some side effects that come with having money. Apostle Paul made this very point in a letter that he wrote to one of uh, his young mentors. It was a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy himself wasn't particularly wealthy, but he was a pastor working under the direction of the Apostle Paul, and he was being sent by Paul to visit some of these churches that Paul had planted. And the churches that Paul had planted were in a number of port cities around the Mediterranean, uh, port cities like Ephesus, for example which meant that they were filled with traders and business people and that the people in those cities in general were fairly well-to-do. They, they were like Vancouver, a, a port city with all kinds of businesses and trading going on and, and the people around it and the surrounding suburbs who were all rich by the standards of the day. And, and so Paul writes to them uh, to give Timothy instructions because among these people who were well-to-do, there were Many who were giving their life to follow Jesus. They were taking on this new worldview. And so Paul instructs Timothy on how to help them understand how to be rich. And here's, here's what Paul writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, Paul says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So here's what... Here's what Paul writes. He says, there are two side effects, two things that, that you need to warn people about when it comes to the money that they have. He says, warn them that money can make us arrogant. And secondly, warn them that over time, money can become the primary source of our hope so that we end up thinking that we are, in fact, self-sufficient. See, Paul is saying, look, there are, in fact, side effects to having Money. The money has this sort of gravitational pull. And when you get into, the, when you get into the, uh, the, the gravitational pull of that money, it just draws you uh, in. And you have to compensate for that pull. And if you fail to compensate for that pull, then you can end up very quickly, as my landscaping experience taught me, you can very quickly come to see that your money is either owning you or you own your money. So... Let's talk about what Paul warns us about. The first thing that Paul warns us about is arrogance. He says, you know, arrogance can make, or money can make a person arrogant. Don't know if you've ever met a rich person who is arrogant, but I'll bet you have, right? Uh, the definition of arrogant is this, having an inflated sense of self-worth. And if that's what arrogance is, then it's easy to see how people can become arrogant when they have lots of stuff. Uh, we learn this very early in life, don't we? I mean, think back to your days in high school. 
you one day you get a brand new, really nice pair of shoes or something else, whatever it is, and you, you go to school and you notice that people notice, but you don't want, you don't let them notice that you notice that they notice, but nevertheless, they know. And guess what? You feel better about who you are. You have a better sense of your self-worth because you have something nice, right? This is kind of how it works for us. And the opposite is just as true. I mean, I remember one day uh, when I was in high school, uh, I'd had this, not a bad little car, it broke down. And so that week uh, I had to take my parents' old, ugly station wagon to youth group. And I remember after youth group, the gang was hanging out, a whole bunch of us, and we decided to make a, a run to McDonald's. And I watched as six of my friends crammed themselves in my buddy's tiny little car that only seated four people and left me driving all alone in my giant, you know, station wagon boat to McDonald's because, because they didn't want to be seen in my ugly brown parents' station wagon. The, the less nice things, the less value it seems to be that we had. And I mean, that just is something for us uh, as human beings. And I don't know if you've ever seen this show uh, that's on Netflix right now. It's called Inventing Anna. It's based on the real life story of a lady named Anna Sorkin. Anna Sorkin uh, was not a particularly rich lady, uh, but she came to New York as a young lady and passed herself in, uh, off in, in, in New York high society as a, a German heiress named Anna Delvey. And if you watch the story, I mean, it's fascinating the kind of arrogance that she has. She's just she treats people with arrogance. She acts arrogant all the time. And yet it's remarkable to see how people not only put up with, but accept that kind of arrogance. Why? Because she is rich. And we have this thing, or at least she passes herself off as rich. And we have this idea that somehow people who are rich are smarter. They're more competent because obviously they got all this money. In fact, when a rich person suggests ideas, we're more inclined to think that they're better ideas. Things just sound better. They, they look better when they come from rich people, which means that in the end, our tendency is to apply more value to those who are rich. And so for those who are rich, it's easy to become arrogant. And again, we're not just talking about the uber rich who are conning people in, in New York high society. This is a danger for us. The danger for us is that as we accumulate more things, that we begin to think that somehow that makes us just a little better, just a little smarter, just a, just a little bit, you know, a, a leg up on the people that have a little less. And Paul warns us, this is one of the dangers of being rich. We're not to become arrogant as we do. It's the first side effect. The, the other side effect is that if you're rich, the danger is that your, your hope will migrate towards your money. And if you fall into this trap, the wealthier you get, the more hope that you're going to put in your money. Now, of course, you know, that there is hope that comes from having money. It's hopeful when you've got the kind of money to pay the bills and to save for your future and, and to give some away. So in one sense, there is hope that comes from having money. But when the Bible talks about hope, when, when the Bible uses the word hope, what it's talking about is this, the sure confidence in your life. It's talking about that, that firm place on which you stand. 
where you find strength and, and security and, and hope in the midst of the hardest and most difficult times of your life. And you see, it's one thing to have money and hope. Again, I hope you're hearing that to have money isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's one thing to have money and hope, but it's a totally different thing to put your hope in your money. In fact, when you begin to do that, then you enter into a slip, onto a slippery slope. Now, nobody would think that they're doing that very thing. You know, we're, we're putting money in our TFSA, our RSP, our, you know, a savings account and insurance policies, all of those things. And those aren't bad things at all. In fact, those are good things to do. But the danger is when we begin to do that, that, that gravitational pull of money begins to pull upon us. And we begin to, to be tempted to think that, that that's the place where we can find our hope, our strength, our stability, our security. I remember a story my dad told me when I was young. Uh, he told me that uh, long ago when I was quite young, that he invested with a number of guys from his work that he was at in an apartment complex. They bought, a, I think, a 10-unit apartment complex, and he went in with, with uh, six other guys. There were seven guys, two that were really rich, that had the lion's share of that investment, and then the five of them that each had just a tiny little investment in, in that apartment. And, and so he invested what for them was a significant sum of money, uh, but the economy was booming and things were going well. He's like, this is a sure bet. E even if something were to go wrong, e even if we had some problems with this whole thing, the banks are going to go over the after those rich guys because they've got all kinds of money. They'd be the easy target. So they started the investment. But not too long after that, the economy went into an, a, a serious tailspin and, uh, and everything went bust. And, and what happened is the really rich guys they had all sorts of different creditors circling around them trying to get money from them. And so the bank that these guys owned the money to, owed the money to for this investment, they didn't bother going after the rich guys. Instead, they went after the, the five other guys that didn't have so much money. But they wanted to get all of the money out of them to pay for that investment. Which meant that at one point, my dad got a notice from the bank that the bank was going to repossess the house and all of the contents in the house. So you can imagine the kind of stress that would have put on him. And, and he told me that one night, one night he lay in bed. And as he lay in bed, he just went mentally from room to room through that house. And in every room he went in, he looked around in his mind's eye and he said, well, they could take that. Would that be a problem? No, they could take that. It would be okay. And they might take that. Yeah, that's okay. And they would take that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And literally from room to room to room, he went. And in the end, he said, they can have it all. There's a few family photos that, that they wouldn't want, that he would definitely want. And, other, and, other, and besides that, they could take it all. And what he was doing was reminding himself again that his hope, his hope was not in his family home, not in this thing that he had spent much of his life working towards and saving. His hope was in something much greater, something much more firm than that hope. And by the way, I just want to encourage you parents, you know, you should tell those kinds of stories. If you've got those kinds of stories, you should tell them to your kids because that story, I mean, it just lodged in my heart. 
It always reminded me we don't put our hope ultimately in the money that we have. For my dad, you know, it wasn't a great investment, although it seemed like a sure thing at the time. But of course, there's always a risk when you invest. Uh, you know, that, that just is. Uh, my folks, on the other hand, had friends who would never dream of investing. It was too risky. No, no, instead, they very faithfully, for years and years and years, saved for their retirement, and they put it into, you know, into a money market thing that was huge and very carefully managed and relatively conservative. And their thing was, we're not taking any risks because at the end, we want to make sure that we've got the resources that we need. And for years, they did that until they came to the time for their retirement. And it was around 2006. Uh, I remember 2006. Uh, we drove to Calgary. That's where my family lives. And I remember driving through some of those little towns in the middle of there, Rivalstoke or Golden, you know, on the, on the way to, to Calgary. And I remember outside one of the Tim Hortons there, they had a sign out saying, uh, employees wanted starting wage $21 an hour. I thought, this is crazy. I mean, look at, look at how this economy is booming. They have to pay people that kind of money. And when we got to Calgary, I mean, every young guy, every 25-year-old guy was driving around with a brand new $80,000 truck. There was just, there was money everywhere. It was 2006, but, but what none of us knew was that across the continent on a small street in the city of New York, a, a street called Wall Street, there were a bunch of bankers who were, who were quietly but furiously selling subprime mortgages as fast as they could. And a year later, by the year 2007, the whole thing blew up and, and there was a subprime mortgage crisis and the, and the economy tanked and, and the markets crashed. And this beautiful couple, the wonderful people who had spent their life so carefully saving and putting their funds into this safest sort of reasonable place that they could so that they could begin their retirement as they came to that moment, it all disappeared. Now, I, I don't know those people well enough to know how they responded. I know that they're nice people. They're followers of Jesus. But if they had put their hope in their money, if they had allowed over those years for their, their hope to migrate to that money that they had been so faithful with and so careful in, 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 in saving, th then when that all went up in the matter of a year because of the decision of a bunch of bankers thousands of miles away, if they put their hope in that, then they wouldn't have just been disappointed. It would be hard no matter what, but they would have been devastated. And what should have been their golden years would have been spent instead in deep sense of sorrow and loss and, and anger and bitterness because they'd put their hope in something that had disappeared overnight. Now again, listen, don't hear me saying that you shouldn't make investments. That's not, not what I'm saying. And don't hear me saying that you shouldn't prepare for your retirement. I'm not saying that either. You should make investments. You should prepare for your retirement. But here's what I'm pointing out. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in this verse again. And that's this. Those of us who are rich in this present world should not be arrogant, and nor should we put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You see, for poor people, it's not really a problem. They, they don't struggle with putting their hope in riches. For, for them, money has proven to be a poor source of their hope. In fact, if anything, they know best of all how quickly money can let you down. 
but suffer for those of us who are rich. Proverbs 18.11 says this, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. In other words, what he's saying is this, rich people, and now again, we're talking about us here, right? Rich people have the potential to see their money as a source of safety and security. When something threatens our way of life, we just write a check. We just swipe the credit card and neutralize that, that threat in our lives. When we need the money, when we've got a problem, we just get the money and away we go. But when this pattern is repeated over and over again over the course of years, then we who are rich are in danger of imagining that that money becomes sort of a wall around us that protects us. It becomes this sort of fortified city that's invisible, but everywhere we go, it's just like, we got a problem? That's okay. We just put some money towards it and we'll be able to solve that problem. But when that happens, then our hope mitigates to our money. And when that happens, if our hope is in our riches, then we start to hoard our money. In fact, studies show that the richer people get, the smaller the percentage of income that they're willing to give away. Uh, the studies show that, you know, people who are kind of medium, uh, median wealth, they, uh, they give about 6% of their income to charities, which isn't too bad. But the higher you go, the less people typically give, even though they have so much more money. Now, why? Because that's where their hope is. Their confidence lies more and more in the money they have. And therefore, they are less and less willing to give it away because they're trying to build this wall higher and higher and higher to protect them. They're building this fortified city. This wall that they imagine is too high to scale. But that's exactly the problem. They only imagine that it's too high to scale. The reality is that no matter how much money you have, no matter how high you build that, that wall, there's just some things that money can't buy you. There are some things that it won't get. And one of those things is hope in the, in the midst of some of the hardest things in the world around you. Money is simply a bad place to put your hope in. It's just too uncertain. Should we financially plan? Yes, of course. We're supposed to be responsible. We just need to figure out how to do it without putting our trust in our money. The writer of Proverbs says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, again, money is not a bad thing. I hope you hear that. It's a gift from God. It's, it's God's generous kindness to us. But it just comes with these dangerous side effects. You know, if money were like medicine that they were selling on TV. You know, they always have these ads selling, you know, different kinds of medication. The commercial would be like all those other ones. It would show these pictures of happy couples walking hand in hand in the park, uh, people playing on the beach, uh, you know, some guy with a full head of hair in a convertible with his wife driving down the, driving down the road with beautiful music playing. But in the background, there would be the announcer warning of the side effects. And he wouldn't be warning about, you know, ruined kidneys or, or failed heart or rotting stomach. No, instead he would be warning about how money can cause arrogance and, and, and how extra precautions should be taken not to offend someone. And, and, and he would say that if it was taken for prolonged periods, it may impair your perception 
and cause you, uh, cause your hope to migrate. Now, you know, when the doctor tells you to take a certain medication that has some of those side effects, he or she will often say, but take it with food. Then it won't be so bad. Or, or drink lots of water or take it with milk or take it before you go to bed, that kind of thing. There is a way to mitigate those effects. And the same is true when it comes to money. Here's what Paul writes again. First Timothy again, chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, th this is, this is the, the, the way to offset the effects of wealth. Th this is how we avoid becoming arrogant and how we avoid having our hope migrate to a different place. It is to put our hope in God. And you've met people like that, haven't you? I mean, I know that I have. The, the, these are people who, even though they're rich, never seem to, put their, to find their hope in their riches. They, they might be middle-class rich. They might be really rich. And they might just be rich in comparison to the rest of the world out there. But no matter how rich they are, they don't trust in their riches. Their hope is in God. And since their hope is in God, they never seem to suffer from that first side effect. They, they never seem to be arrogant. So, I mean, you can read, you know, you can talk to people who are really rich. You can stand in their driveway with their very fine car and their beautiful home right there behind them. And, and yet, I mean, they're humble and they're thankful and they're generous in heart because they've learned to put their hope in God, not in their, not in their riches. Their hope is in God, which means that, that their hope remains steady no matter the circumstances, no matter whether their portfolio goes up or down, no matter if their business is growing or not, no matter if the stock market is good or bad. Because their, their confidence is on something much stronger, much more firm, much more stable than their money. Their confidence, their hope is found in God. So the question is, how do they get there? How do they, how do they get that kind of hope? In God. Where, where does that come from? And again, Paul, Paul tells us next where, where to get that kind of hope in God. Here's what he says in verse, in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's how you put your hope in God, he says. Do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, and be willing to share. You see, those are the practical steps. That, that, that's what allows us to lay up for ourselves then a firm foundation in the life to come. But he says that's also what allows us to take hold of the life now that is life here. Now, one of the guys uh, that is a mentor to me, he, he talks about this. He says, look, what's the point of piling up all sorts of money so that you can just pile up more money so that you can pile up more money so that you can die? The question is, how do you take the generosity that God has already given you so that you take hold of life that is life here and now? And Paul lays out for us exactly how to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But this week, 
this week. Here's the key. If you want to be good at being rich, then you have to begin by understanding and accepting that the generosity of God in your life, the, the funds that are there, that the wealth that is in your life comes with these side effects. And if you don't mitigate against those side effects, if you don't be aware of those side effects, then they will begin to form you. Instead of you owning your money, your money will form you. You know, the ironic thing about this all is that the richer you are, the harder it is to be good at being rich. But if you understand that and begin to deal with that, then the result is that you begin to take hold of life that is really life because you end up putting your hope in God. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's, let's pray together. Well, God, we, we come to you again today. And Father, in some ways, this stuff seems so obvious. And yet, in many ways, it's only when we talk about it that our eyes are open to see, yes, that's true. Yes, I see that in the world around us. And God, maybe we even see it in ourselves. An arrogance, just a subtle arrogance that somehow we think that we're better because we have more stuff than others do. God, forgive us for that. And Father, even more subtle and maybe even more insidious is this, this thing that creeps into our life that somehow our safety, our security, our hope is found in our money rather than you. God, would you forgive us for that? God, would you remind us again that the only sure hope that we have, the only true place on which to stand is upon you and that you are a good God and that you are always faithful and that you care for us no matter what comes. And so, God, would you help us to be good at being rich? Lord, would you teach us how to be rich so that, God, we might take hold of this life that is truly life? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.